Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Marriage is, it's funny, Lagos is a unique place. When, when I think about other cities in the world, if you go traditionally to what we call the West, right? Um, marriage is, is sort of there, but people, people get married a lot older. Um, there's a sense of which, you know, singleness is really valued so much. Whereas when you go to traditionally the East and even Africa, Right? There's a sense of community. It's more like you're at the age of 21, 22. Once you start getting to your mid-20s, you have a problem for not being married. Now, Lagos over the last couple of decades, maybe just two and a half, two and a half three decades, has largely been influenced so much by the West. But one of the things that has not shifted is our fascination with marriage. When it comes to marriage, we are still very African. We are still very, you know, if you've not been married for a while and you go for a friend's wedding and, um, you know, one aunt sees you somewhere there, I, I don't know how to say, in Yoruba, they say, ah, funke kwele, tena adil, you know, your own is coming. They can't, it's almost like if you're not married, they, you, you, they, you have a curse around you. And so marriage is, marriage, being married or looking forward to being married plays a huge role in our life. But I'll even go one step further. Because human beings are created for community, for interaction, you will not find any deeper, more intense human relationship than marriage itself. And so marriage brings out sometimes the best in us, but at the same time, it brings out the worst in us. So the one thing I should say before I start this talk is this. Because I do believe that marriage is a good thing, I want to say this isn't the forum to affirm singleness as a good thing on its own. We've already kind of done that with, uh, two months ago, we had a singles event, and we made you know, the point clear that the Bible upholds, unlike other things, the Bible upholds singleness in itself as a valid thing. So I'm just going to say that in passing and assume that. But I also want to say marriage is a good thing. According to the Bible, it's a gift from God. And therefore, it's a what? Good thing. It's not an ultimate thing, but it's a good thing. It may not be going well for you currently, but it's a good thing. It may have gone ba pretty badly for you and even ended, but it is still a good thing. You see, we believe in the inherent goodness of marriage again because God himself, who gave it and revealed himself in the Bible, says it is a good thing. If someone looks, searches for a wife, he what? Finds a good thing and he obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I would say this also. Um, I've said this in different, different times and to different people. When my wife and I came back to, to Plant City Church, the thing we thought would be the biggest issue that people face in Lagos in terms of 
um, both from a sinful perspective, also how it affects our lives, is we thought it would be work. Workaholism was number one. And we felt that how people think about themselves, their identity was number two. So felt people had an identity crisis and, and how work was, was um, affecting them. But, and then number three was people's marriages. Within a few months coming back, speaking with people, seeing what was going on, I mean, marriage was so number one, the number two was not even close to it. Marriage is probably the biggest issue that, I would say the biggest social issue that we face in our city. Not really understanding what to do, what does it, what does it and, and, and I say this, when I say our city, the church is not excluded. The two clips that you saw, one was a spoof from, of, Christian, of Christians, it's a Christian video. The second one is an explicit teaching in a, in a Christian assembly. So part of the vision behind this are married in Lagos event really, as we said, is threefold. It is to revive dead marriages, it is to renew sleepy marriages, and to strengthen good marriages. Revive dead marriages, renew sleepy marriages, and strengthen good marriages. Now, three of those categories are the things that I've seen, I've seen a lot, and I would say probably even exist in this church as well. And so it's a very, very big issue for us. In my time counseling people who have been married and gone through some of these things, I would say whilst I have been quite pained to see what some people have gone through, I have been elated to see how God, through the Holy, God the Holy Spirit works through the gospel, has worked wonders in people's marriages. And so I would say the challenge we face in our city is not that people are too Christian in their marriage, it's that we're not Christian enough. And so today we hopefully want to share some helpful things that uh, will help us as we go through our marriage journey or as we think of going into marriage, what are the things that are important. All right, so this first talk, I'm going to try and lay some foundation. The first talk, is going to, I'm going to try and lay some foundation. The second talk is going to be a little bit more practical. Now, but I have to say this, marriage is not an easy thing. In trying to give two talks to talk about marriage, don't, don't expect... You know, don't expect all the, the whole shebang. We'll try to say a number of helpful things, and then hopefully over a period of time, and maybe with the, um, with the Q&A as well. I may need that board, though. With the Q&A, um, we'll be able to say some more direct things. All right, so, so I'll start this first talk, and I should read this passage of Scripture. Genesis 1, I'm reading from Genesis 1, 27 to 28, and then 2, 18 to 24, 27 to 28, and then 2, 18 to 24. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was formed was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, 
And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you read part of the Bible, you get to Jesus' time. And at some point, Jesus was quizzed by who you call the Pharisees, a, a religious sect uh, in the Jews, a group. And they asked him, they were trying to quiz him about divorce. This is in Matthew chapter 19. They're asking him about the legitimacy of a divorce. Now, in the context of that, Jesus answers them the reason why there, there, is, there are exceptions for the divorce. But then he goes on to then say, even though the exception is there, in the beginning, it was not meant to be so. This was not the design. What beginning was he talking about? Now, the beginning he was talking about is the beginning of the Bible, but also what we'll say the beginning of marriage is. Now, you see, as we are gathered here, different groups of people, different ethnicities, all of us function. When we want to ask the big questions of life, we function with a certain kind of authority. So, for instance, some of we Igbo people will say, uh, our people say, for everything. Yorubas will say, uh, and then you give. That is, you function from a certain authority before you then give an answer. What is your authority? So when Jesus is being quizzed about this, he says, well, let me give you the authority upon which I'm standing on. I want to take you back to the very beginning, the beginning of how God created the world, and therefore he created man and woman, and then he created the institution of marriage. Now, I'll start with that to say that, unfortunately, many times people, and I'm speaking particularly to Christians, when we want to get into the marriage issue, often people will say something like, well, me, I think. Well, that's your opinion. Or many times you don't even know it. You are much more influenced by Kendall Jenner and Kim Kardashian by Instagram. I was reading an article on a particular church in the US recently. I mean, the church is on a church that exploded. And the executive pastor said, Instagram built this church, right? And so many marriages, maybe Instagram is actually building them. What authority are you standing on? Well, Jesus says, let me take you back to the beginning. And that beginning, as I said, is this text that we just read now. That I just uh, read to us the Genesis 1, 27, 28, and Genesis 2, 18 to 24. Now, I wanted us to notice, I'm not going to preach full, uh, fully from this, but I want us to notice six things in this particular passage. Six things, because this passage is absolutely foundational to the Bible's teaching of it. Go and check other parts. When you think of Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 quotes this, this, this passage. I said Matthew 19, it quotes this passage. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they quote this passage. This passage is absolutely foundational in trying to think about what the Bible's view, and therefore the true God's view, has to say about marriage. So there are six things I want us to note there. One, the problem. Two, the idea. Three, the alternatives. 
Four, the solution. Five, the division. And six, the union. Problem, idea, alternative, solution, division, and union. What is the problem? The problem is loneliness. 2 verse 18, it is not good for the man to be alone. If you read verse 31 God has created, uh, of chapter 1, God has created all things, and the refrain constantly after each day he creates, he says, it is what? Good. And by the time you get to the end of uh, the chapter, when he created man, he says, it was very good. So now we found a situation where something is not good. It's not that God created what wasn't good, but what had been created was not yet complete. And so he was saying, it is not good for the man to be alone. So the problem here was loneliness. But I should tie that loneliness even to something, which takes me to the idea. What was God's response? Like, All right, this loneliness is not good, so I have an idea. What am I going to do? And then you get to the other part of verse 18. I will make a helper suitable for him. So what is the answer to the idea? Making a suitable helper. In other words, he needs a helper, but not all helpers are suitable. Where does the suitability come from? Well, it takes you back to verse 27 and verse 28 of chapter 1. Because God said he blessed them. Then after he blessed them, he commissions them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and do all of those things. So anything that is not going to make the man fruitful multiply, subdue the earth, is not going to be suitable for him. Which takes us to the third thing. God wants to make a suitable helper. So what are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives we see from verse 19 to 20. Remember now, the man needs a suitable helper. So now the Lord God had, notice, formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man um, called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. First thing to notice, from where were all these creatures made? Out of what? Out of the ground. Okay. Now, after he made them, notice what did God do? He, he brought them to him to name them. And he actually curiously says he wanted to see what he would name them. Now, if you read in verse in chapter 20, chapter 1, verse 27, 28, this man is created in the image of God. When it comes to these creatures, it does not say that they are created in the image of God. That's the first thing. The second thing is that these creatures have to be made like him if they're going to be fruitful and multiply. So when Adam is brought, when these creatures are brought before Adam and he names them and God is looking at what he will name them, the name that he gives them is going to show whether Adam sees that this is his suitable helper. The name that he's going to give the particular animal that is going to come is going to show whether Adam believes this animal or this creature is my suitable helper. If the name is going to be similar to hers, then he will now know this is belonging to me. So, for instance, he gets a goat. Goat. That doesn't sound very much like a, like a human being, right? 
I know some people think that their husbands are goats. And that, this is where the problem starts. So yeah, not suitable. And it says crucially, based on the names that Adam had given to them, how does verse 20 then end? But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. In other words, as he was naming them, mm -mm, nope, good, this is good for something. God created them, but not my suitable helper. Good for transportation. I hope some of our wives here are not riding their husbands as means of transportation. Good for horses, good for transportation. Oxes, good for plowing the land, but not as a suitable helper. Which then leads to the solution, verse 21 to 23. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the ground, from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Same sequence. God has created now. And then he says, now come. Let me see what you are going to name this one. And then the guy bursts into poetry. Like some of women have often done, you know. You see, I'd be like, you know, Adam gives a good, poet, uh, a good poem here. Some of us will say something like, ooh la la. Mon chéri, that's when we start speaking French that we don't even know. <laughs> and Adam bursts into poetry. It's funny that he doesn't go into prose first. He goes into poetry. This is now bone of my bones. She didn't come from the ground. She came from me. And flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, she shall be called what? What does woman sound like? Now just remove the woo. What do you have? You see? The name that he gave her shows that she belonged to him. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I know some of you are trying to be very, very, you know, literalistic now because, you know, Itunu is saying, but Itunu and Femi don't sound alike. <laughs> well, the point here is that the woman is called a woman here for the suitability of what God has called them both to do. And after he says that, says, this is why, now this is the, the writer of Genesis then say, giving a summary. This is why. What? What is why? This union that you can see, that she was taken out of him. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and the two, and they become what? One flesh. Well, they had to be one flesh because in the first place she was taken out of him. And so even though now they are diverse, the purpose has always been unity. But this often isn't the case. There are struggles. One big reason for the struggle is chapter 3, where something called sin comes in, and it really distorts everything. Both of them now become pretty much jacked up morally. But there are also other reasons how the sin works. Always, it's always nice. The people in front will always get to be used as illustrations. So thank you. 
Debo and Funke, please come together. Come together, just come together. Come, come, come. Thank you very much. Yeah, give them a round of applause. Debo, stay on my left. Funke, stay on my right. You know this is my right, though. But let's, don't worry. The man is always on the right hand. All right. Yikes. Now, um, I need more. Um, Atibuki, please come. Yemi, please come. Thank you. Please come. My brother, please come. Please stay behind. And you come here. Stay behind. And you, please come. Stay behind. Debra and Funke move. Just stay like this. So, usually what happens is this. What's the name, please? Demola. Demola guy. Demola is, you know, a happening guy in town, and he sees Nanke. I pronounced it well. Oh, gosh. I'm not going to attempt it again. <laughs> so he meets her. He speaks with her. They like each other. And then they decide to get married. Good. And the same thing also happens here. There's unity. One small problem. They both get pregnant. I'm not talking about the, the sickness that comes with pregnancy. I'm talking about when the child actually now comes. And then the man is no longer the apple of her eye. So Funke is produced here. And Debo is produced here. If you think, ah, I thought they are meant to be babies first and whatever. You've obviously not read Genesis 1. How, was Adam ever a baby? Go we'll figure. This represents another unity. Because actually, when she was pregnant with Funke, where was she? Funke was in her womb. Very united to her. When she came out, there was a cord that was was connecting them, showing that they are connected. Now, even though that cord was snapped, for a period of um, maybe, I don't know, one year, two years, depending on the patience of the husband, uh, she continues being breastfed. Some are even saying three years. My gosh. <laughs> and the same thing happens here. The nurturing, the breastfeeding, it goes. They start training. They start going to church together. They start saying, you must do this. You must not do that. You must do this. You must not do that. You know what's happening? Funke is going to bear their surname, and she's leaving out that surname, that identity. Funke is read in this environment. There is a unity that is here. And the same thing, Deborah is being read. Maybe this is an Igbo household. And Deborah is being shown that he's more important than even his mom. I hope I'm not wrong. OK, I, that's offensive. No, it's an Igbo household, and Igbo has shown that he's, he, he, um, he's, he's, he's valued. He's val I really do believe that you guys, that you hold. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He's really valued, and um, oh, gosh. All right, so let's move on. So this unity is so strong. And then university comes. And Debo and Funke are in the same university. And Debo notices Funke. And he says, <laughs> and Debo says what? Ooh la la. <laughs>
on Cherie. And Fuke has been reading so many novels, so that such a corny pickup line, she fought for it. And so, Debo is bearing one surname, she's bearing another surname, and now they decide to get married. Here's the problem. Debo has been so united to them, and the unity that he has in them is, becomes a reflection of both of them. Their religious beliefs, their particular values, the, their sinful tendencies, all of them have been put into him. And the same thing with her. And the Bible then says, so shall a man leave his father and his mother, and obviously she has already been left, because then he will now be united to his wife, and the two shall become Now, partly, if I may just say, very quickly, this is the struggle we have with parents and children that get married. Quite often, what parents, and maybe this is not a parent seminar, but we have to think about this. As a parent, your job is not to rear a child so much that that child is so attached to you. In fact, the fact that the child stays in your belly for nine months shows you that it is a temporal unity. You are meant to be training that child for the purpose of leaving. The problem is that many times parents try to bring up their children at 10 the same way. They try to bring up their children at 21 the same way at 10. That's why a woman will be 28, 29. Father said, if you don't come back home at 7 p.m. Or if you don't serve my food. So that by the time she's now married, the father comes and the mother comes and they still expect her to be serving the food. They are still trying to live out that same unity within. Whereas... What the plan God always had was, thank you very much for being in your home, but you were never meant to be in this home, so now the two that were permanently together are still now united. It's called empty nesting. But he has come with a lot of them. She has come with a lot of them. And so this unity that we talk about, it ain't very simple. Thank you very much. Trying to unite isn't very simple. It seems like a very, almost a, an idealistic picture. But when all of a sudden she comes and says, when you use the toilet, can you just put the seat down? And he says, if you want the seat down, why don't you just put it down? Like you are not actually, no, it's not right. What does not make it right? I have always been using toilet with seats up. Or she says, I think our children should go to this school. See, if they go to that school, they're going to be very spoiled. I need our children to be able to function in the real world. See, there are dangerous people in that school they are talking about. We come in with different sets of values. The next problem is this. When we say we come together, really, for what purpose? Because it says the man will be united with his wife. The two will become one flesh. But notice the unity was a unity of hopefully two suitable people. She was meant to be a suitable helper. Suitable helper for what? 
For child rearing? Yes, that's one of the reasons. But I would say it's a bit deeper than that. Every unity has a purpose. When unity doesn't have a purpose, it starts to disintegrate. There's a terrible football club in the north of England. No, no, no. Not the one Toki is wearing. That is from God. Right? Things are, things are a bit hard now, but affliction shall not rise a 17th time. No, no, no. They, 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 they have this chap that is Portuguese for a manager. But they identify themselves not as devils, though. If it was devils, would be okay. They are red devils. How can they be right? Unfortunately, they happen to be one of the most successful clubs in England. How did they achieve this success? What is the success? The success is the mission to acquire trophies. But they know this. We can only be successful if we are united. So they are called Manchester United. If you don't, if you don't have unity, you cannot achieve a purpose. The problem, though, is that so many people are coming together for their own purpose. So you saw the first video. She was having, they were coming together for the purpose of Instagram likes, or at least that was her own idea. Too many people are coming together for the purpose of the wedding day. The problem with the wedding day is that it is a day. After that, what next? Like, wow. So we need to figure this thing out. <laughs> Too many people have not really seen why is it that we have come together to be married. Some people, as I recently found out, I didn't know this existed, but even here in Lekki, Ikoi, the big families try to arrange you know, they, their daughters and their sons so that hopefully they can give birth to an elite race, noble race. For some people, you come together to continue a particular family business. For some people, it is, I don't know, to fulfill sexual pleasures. If you define your own mission for your marriage, it's probably not going to end well. These people were brought together for God's own purpose. Created in the image of God, in, right? It says in the image of God, he created them. And he then said to them what? Be fruitful. Or he blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. Now, again, because it's not a theological class, I'm just going to tell you exactly what that means today. It wasn't just about bearing children, but as you follow the storyline of the Bible, you'll find as this passage finds its fulfillment, according to Ephesians chapter 5, in showing the picture of Jesus Christ and the church, the question then becomes, why was Jesus Christ brought together with the church? What is the purpose? Very simple. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What is that purpose? 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That is the purpose. To be conformed to the image of his son. What they were doing in veiled form in, in Genesis 1 and 2, that blessing, that commission, was to expand the frontiers of the kingdom of God. The fulfillment of the coming of the kingdom of God came in the person of Jesus Christ, who first said at the onset of his ministry, Behold, the kingdom of God is what? At hand. He died, he rose again, now he's enthroned on high. He is now the king of this kingdom. And then, with all authority given to him, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That is, bring more spiritually, uh, sp uh, spiritual people into this world. People who are born after my likeness, so that they can be fully conformed into my image. It was the being fruitful by the Holy Spirit to bring forth more and more of God's children after the pattern of Christ. And that's why verse 29, after it says, predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Of the one race, Adam was the first. But when you read 1 Corinthians 15, it says, there was a first Adam, a first man, one race, one creation. But now there is what? A second Adam who was raised from the dead. So Jesus Christ being risen from the dead is the new creation starting forth. And so when Jesus Christ gives the command to his disciples to make disciples of all nations, it is taking this commission in Genesis 1 to its fulfillment. Are you following closely? So when a man and a woman come together, hopefully as Christians... For all the other things they need to achieve still under the old creation because we've not come fully into the new creation, for all the things they need to achieve, and we'll talk about some of those, the reason that you are brought together, and for those who are looking to be married, this is why as Christians we talk about being married to other Christians. The reason you are brought together, ultimately your mission is to extend the frontiers of the kingdom of God. And the first person you need to see that really formed in is your spouse. In fact, the Holy Spirit wants us to see, he wants to see the kingdom of God emerge in them and from them. That is, Deborah's work is uh, being brought together at Funke ultimately is to see Christ's reign in Funke's life increase more and more. That is another way of saying Christ is being formed in Funke, my little children of whom I am in travail, until Christ be formed in you. So to see Funke live more and more increasingly under the kingdom of God is to see her being conformed to the image of Christ. That is part of what Debo is meant to be doing. And Funke vice versa for Debo. And then Funke and Debo together seeing that happen to all to many other people. Are we following? Yes. This is the mission. This is why you are united. If you lose sight of this, if you start thinking, well, my unity is really so that we can be training my brother that is still in the village. I'm not saying there's nothing there. Again, there's something there. But when that brother keeps failing over and over again, 
And it's time to at least say, well, maybe another line of education. When was your own sister? Did we not, did we not sponsor her? And you start fighting. And you lose sight of the big picture. How is this fight, this constant bitterness, how is this going to, one, bring about conformity to Christ in your partner? And two, when you guys are now divided, how are we going to see more spiritual children emerge from both of you? Now, let me say a little bit about, I'll soon close with this first talk, about what the nature of this one flesh union is. Now, for us to do that, and soon I'll, I'll need my premise slide, the premise slide. Human beings are complex, complex creatures. Funke is not just the body that you are seeing here. At least this isn't what the Bible teaches. There are some scientists that would like some. Not even most scientists don't. But there are some scientists that would like to teach us that we are just our matter. However, there are some new age people that will try to tell us we are our consciousness. Right? That all of this, this is more illusory. The matter is illusory. Um, it's what we can't see. That's the core. Well, the Bible will say that human beings are body and spirit. Right? So both what we see and what we don't see. Very, very important. Now, because of that complexity, this unity that the Bible talks about is not just a unity of I do, I do. That's it. And now we just sing love songs to each other. No. It's a whole lot more. It's a lot more complex. So I want to identify five things Five, well, no, so let me put it this way. So I'm going to bring up a pyramid to be able to show a pyramid of three levels. So the first level is ground zero, the second level is ground one, and, this, and the third level is ground two. And it forms a pyramid. And that pyramid, the first level, uh, the ground zero, will give us the most fundamental but intangible things about marital unity. All right? And there are a number of four things that I want us to see there. So if we bring that up first, this is ground zero. Marital unity at the lowest level forms here. That is, we need, say it for me, the trust, commitment, the legal, and mission. Now, if I take, let's take the legal, for instance. I don't care whether you guys have been dating for 18 years. I don't care whether you are, um, you've become, you are so, you are, you're, you're so mating, eh? It is so solical. You know, we are already married in our hearts. Our hearts are knotted together in a reality that transcends space and time. I, I'm, I'm on fire. Is why she said yes. <laughs> well. You have to be able to, it's literally, the legal is literally putting your money where your mouth is. Because you are signing on the dotted line, I hope you know that if you sign and marry to this person, there are certain things that you can do that will make you a criminal. You know that? First of all, there's something called bigamy. You've never heard of it. It's a crime. By virtue of signing, you have already committed yourself in such a public way that costs you 
when you go or you violate certain things. We can't talk about any unity, really, until we talk about the legal framework that shows that you are truly committed to this unity. Now, at different history, uh, points in history of time, what this legal um, uh, unity looks like changes. But nonetheless, we need something that binds these people together so that the authority, the existing and known authority at the time, can hold them to account on. Because it provides a secure, bounded space in which this particular unity can flourish. Whenever, have you ever seen a garden? What is the largest garden we've ever seen? The largest, do you know, in the world? The one I know, the largest I know is maybe Central Park. I don't know if it's the largest in the world, but the largest I've seen is Central Park in the heart of New York. Like, it is massive, massive. But Central Park has boundaries, right? You cannot make anything flourish without putting some boundaries there. You can't have a business, a, um, a company, that you want to see grow without first saying, these are my employees, and these are not my employees. And the only way you can do that is by having what? Boundaries. It is when you create boundaries and you say, this is my space. This is my house. This is my compound. Then you can say, can we put a, can we put a flower pot there? Can we put this painting here? We need boundaries to feel secure. I'm not going to go outside of this, but this part belongs to me. It is when you have that security that you can then work for flourishing. Where you don't have the security, you can be trying your best, but anytime that person can just walk out one day. You understand what I mean? Say, after all, uh, we, we didn't sign on paper. Now, that shows the commitment. Nonetheless, that commitment to flourish within this legal framework requires trust. And trust is a very expensive commodity. You have to trust that the other person has got your good at heart. You have to trust that they won't knowingly seek to harm you. Now, I'm not saying that people, even people that would say, I would say, classify in good marriages, I'm not saying that they've never hurt each other. Do you understand? It's one thing for your spouse to hurt you. It's another thing for you to be convinced that this spouse had the intention to harm me. That this spouse is committed, not for my good, but to continue to subjugate me. There is no unity there. If you cannot trust that ultimately this spouse of mine, though will not, be, will not perfectly live out these vows, but is at least committed to trying to live out the vows as best as they can. If you don't have that, then you can't even talk about the last thing, purpose and mission. What purpose and mission? If as the manager of that despicable club, when he was managing a previous club um, in the blue side of London, elitist club like this. At some point, he was giving interviews 
saying that basically people were basically, the players were sabotaging him. That this was the game plan I pulled, but this isn't what they executed. How can he feel that we are on a mission together to accomplish this goal? Are you understanding what I'm saying? Without trust, we cannot be talking about mission. And then, all of a sudden, the legal part of this thing does not become the security for you to flourish. It becomes a trap. I am stuck with this person in a legal union that only means me harm. So at ground zero, you have to deal with this. And let me say, with most of the um, marital issues that come to me, right? Most of them will come at, and we'll see at level one, and sometimes level two, a mix. I often don't deal with level one or level two. I will listen to the complaints of level one and level two so that I can know how level zero is being affected. And by God's grace, application of the gospel to level zero often makes the people themselves go and sort out level one and level two. But without these things, you can't truly have the unity that will enable you to flourish and seek God's mission together. In fact, you may be able to seek God's mission better with people outside of your marriage. But you don't find it in the marriage. So now let's go to level, ground, level one or ground one. There are five things there. Five things that we have to consider for union, and then I will, I will end. The spiritual union, the sexual union, the social union, geographical union, and financial union. Spiritual union. Now, ground one contains very important visible expressions of unity. Very important visible expressions of unity, as we can see. So the first one, spiritual union. Spiritual union. Now, again, if you're a Christian, and I would even say if you are a religious person, I know it's not always the case, but your religion, your, um, your faith, should be the most, in fact, it always is the most important thing to you. Unfortunately, many of us, our Christian faith is not the most important thing to us. It is our faith or in me, or faith in my work, or something. We are, human beings are religious beings. We are worshipful beings, as Emmanuel was showing us on Sunday. But let's say that your, 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 your institutional faith should be the most important thing to you. This is why it's a bit of a problem when I see someone who is a Christian and someone who is a non-Christian get married. What does this say? That person's Christianity is not the most important thing to them. That's basically what it means. Not saying that it doesn't function, but it's not the most important thing to them. Because if your faith is that important to you, your faith is not just what you do in terms of prayer and all of those things, the devotional aspect, but it's also the aspect of truth. It affects the decisions that you guys have to make. Somebody gets pregnant. I said, man, this is our sixth child, and I'm not sure we'll be able to send this child to, and then the other person says, hey, why don't we just abort it? 
Like, um, about care. Ah, no, 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 no. My, my faith will not allow me to adopt. Let's not bring faith into it. Have you ever heard that? Let's not, bring, let's not bring religion into it. And the question is, how can I not bring religion into it? This is the most important aspect of my life. It shapes how I view the world and how I think of the world. Now, you both, you want to be united to the most important person in your life, but you cannot be united in the most important thing in your life. There is a disconnect. And quite often, those marriages have only ever been peaceful because they both really show that, no, these things, they are apparent to us, but you are the most important person to me, and you are, you know, um, Diana Ross and Lionel Richie. Uh, there's only you in my life. The only thing that's right. God is okay, but you are right. Guys, can I say this? For you to be truly united, you have to be united in devotion and truth. It is important. It is staggering how many Christian couples don't talk about faith. They don't talk about anything about the Bible. We don't talk about how, what do you agree on this? Why do you agree on this? My wife and I, for the first two years, one and a half years of our marriage, when it was arguments, arguments, no, I don't believe this one. What do you think about it? What, what do you even believe? That's what she asked me one day. <laughs> Everything, you don't believe this, you don't believe that. We have to unite in devotion and truth. If you truly believe there is a God and he has said certain things, are you united on them? The second thing is the sexual union. The sexual union. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, if you read 1 Corinthians 6, 13, 16 to 17, Paul quotes this Genesis chapter 2. But when he quotes Genesis chapter 2 and he says the two become one flesh, he actually quotes it in, a passage, in, in the context of speaking about sex. Now, it's a very base, and Paul was making this argument in this passage I just quoted. It's a very base understanding. You know when it says, um, um, a body for food, have you food for the body, or how do you put it again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys know everything. For the, yes, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. Then Paul now says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In other words, they are starting to think about sex in the same way they think about food. I am hungry, I eat. I'm sexually hungry, I have sex. That's it. I'm burning. So I need to find something to cool down the burn. Now, don't get me wrong. If we can read the next chapter... In chapter 7, there is a sense in which, yes, as in, it helps you fulfill that urge. But if you think about sex in those terms alone, as some people do, they are not uniting. In that regard, Paul was saying, look, if you go and pay for a prostitute, you are desacralizing something because you have just made it about the transaction. But this unity, is, a, is a, this thing that you guys have committed, is a whole lot more than something you can just put a transaction on. So don't you know the one that goes with the prostitute, you are being united together with them. The only thing I can use to describe this is maybe what we call um, communion. Communion is an act in which we almost reenact our covenant, the covenant renewal ceremony with Christ. Now, you establish the covenant with Christ by faith instantly, but you renew it 
by taking communion. You are being refreshed. So when you come together in a sexual act with your spouse, you are again saying the thing, the things that I said about commitment to you, I meant it. And I don't just mean it with my mouth. I mean it with my body. This is why sex is really important. To which some men are saying, sure you are hearing me. <laughs> I hear you. See, right on, Pastor. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no. Doesn't mean you're getting lucky tonight. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's so funny because even the way our private and sexual organs are designed, it shows this complementary unity. It's part of the, I have to say, part of the problem with homosexual uh, uh, unions. The, the biology of it does not, it doesn't give the evidence that this is a unity that is valid. All right, let's rush through the others. Three, social union. In a recent, um, I was reading the New York Times, in a recent very, very massive study done in the University of Exeter. Now, this is just a secular study. Five things were listed as very important in building long-lasting relationship. One, friendship. Two, respect. Three, realistic expectations. Four, shared interest. And five, humor. I've heard many men, way too many men, they only complain about one thing. Say she does not respect me. My wife doesn't respect me. Now, I'm not talking about men that want to be called Lord. I'm just talking about snide comments in public. Just, would anyone seeing you, would anyone seeing you spending time with you believe that you respect your husband? I've heard many, way too many women say, he just doesn't notice me. He always corrects me. It's like, I don't think he loves me. No affection. Would anyone spending so much time with you be able to say, like the prophet said, that God says over Israel, that he rejoices over her? Will anyone be able to say that? Now, this thing happens in your social interaction with one another. This is really important. Now, this is where some people have dialed this up so much that they've now started talking about the whole, the one person for you, compatibility, all of those kind of things. Now, I don't think we have to go the extreme, but there is a lot that is true there. Friendship, respect, humor. How often do you guys? Not humor for other people to see. Do you guys enjoy each other's company? It is so funny how the humor that you express, all these different things, are a form. Your respect is a form of you expressing your unity. For geographical, <laughs> this almost goes without saying, but actually now you have to say it. You'd be like, socially man leave his father and his mother and the two shall be united together. If you don't understand Hebrew, if you don't, if you don't understand literature, you say, at least I know they should be living with each other. Now, in some cases, it is, so shall a man leave the father and his mother and be united with his wife, even though they have two apartments. One of the biggest tragedies we have today, 
is this trend of, I live in Abuja, she lives in Port Harcourt. Again, don't get me wrong, there are some complexities with those things. And I'm not saying the moment it happens, you always say no. But whatever, whenever you are in that case, please mark it, and I'll talk about it in the second, in the second whatever. It should always be temporary. You see, we underestimate the value of presence in unity formation. Quite often, people will leave, let's say, I don't know, this church, they say they have an anointing for visa. And I reject the anointing. <laughs> At least for visa to relocate. But quite often, somebody will leave. Maybe you have a friend or somebody living in the church, and they say, ah, don't worry, I will keep in touch. I say, I won't keep in touch. I wouldn't keep in touch. I may, I may email you once in a year. I may text you once in a year. But this, don't worry, I'm leaving, but we will still be very good friends. All of you here, some of you that your friends have left, I say we'll be good friends. I used to be very, very, very good friends. I'm not talking about, do you still like the person? You like the person, you want, but are you really, do you really know what's going on in their lives? No. Why? Presence matters. When God puts you in a particular place with a particular set of people, when they go, I say, go and look for other friends and be united with those friends when you are there. The people that are here, the ones that will replace you, I'll be united with those ones. <laughs> Judas like you. <laughs> Presence matters. This is why I keep telling people, when you give excuses, I can't come to church because of this. Ah, you know, uh, he's, uh, this thing happened. I was tired the day before, blah, blah. Now, again, sometimes it happens. If you are tired on Saturday two or three times in a year, that's fine. Nobody's going to complain about that. But if you keep giving one excuse or the other, because you think church is just... I need to listen to a sermon so I can listen to that sermon at home. No. The formation also comes not just with the content that is being given to you, but the presence. And this is why marriage is the most intense human relationship that there is. Because it's not just the person that you are work with, occasionally you can change this one. Together, forever, until death do us part. You go, in, you live in the same house, you will live in the same room. You will sleep on the same bed. You will share the same toilet. The same, I mean, come on. In the midst of that geographical unity, that is when the activity happens for you to be formed. Many people, what happens is this. Hey, but we'll, we'll make it out. Um, I'll go for five days. I'll spend the weekend. You know what they do when they spend the weekend? They just catch up, like quickly. Give some of the, you know, some small updates. Let's have quick sex, and then da, 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 I'll see you next week. They are not being formed. They are connecting. Touch, they are touching base. And quite often, one of them then has a very, very good friend in the other place that they are being formed with. It is in the context of geographical unity that the activity for united formation occurs. It is then you see her crying for this spiritual back, backlash that she's experiencing. It is then you see him, him in the vulnerability of, will this business survive? Or, I don't know where this work is going to come. Many of these things, you will not see it when you are spending two days in a week with each other. And at that point, you're just on your best behavior and you want to quickly, ah, we need to go for this person's wedding. We need to. You don't have time. Unity. Pre a prerequisite to marital unity is that you will be living together. And finally, financial unity. Woo, touchy. 
I heard someone recently, yesterday on radio, saying, ah, I love my husband, but when it comes to money, we don't even go there because money is such a touchy subject. When has money not been a touchy subject? It's not with your husband alone. It's with everyone. Come to church, you know money is a touchy subject. <laughs> Went to say, now, before we got married, um, one of the, an older couple that was uh, advising us, now, the advice he gave, we've taken it, and we advise to other, pe to other people, but I don't think it's, it's not sacrosanct, so I'm not saying you must do it. But they were telling us about why, that, you know, about uh, owning a joint account together. And at first, we kind of pushed back. And we now said, look, very, very funny, said, you know when you get married, you're going to see each other naked. So if you can see each other's bodies, then why are you not hiding your money from each other? In a very funny way, it's really true. You see, your money, and really I don't like that state, that, that phrase in itself, when you get married, my money. Your money, when you work and you earn, is a representation of who you are. But the two are meant to come together and be what? United. So what happens is today say, hey, yeah, let's join the account. Oh, you will spend everything there. <laughs> like, no, no, no. When the two come together, it is not my money. It is our money. It's our money. <laughs> Touchy. Again, because many times we don't see the spiritual reality of money. If you want to see the spiritual reality of money, see how people react when money comes up. Money is deeply spiritual. Where your heart is, there also is your treasure is. You've invested yourself. You've sold. You've made presentation, blah, blah. Somebody now, pay, you know, gives. Ah, man, I did this thing for myself. No, you didn't just do it. Somebody encouraged you. Somebody supported you. Somebody looked after the other things so that you can prepare. And that person did all of that because you are united. So it is, thank you very much, our money. Now, this I haven't then said translates into necessarily joint account, necessarily, I have not said that. But at best, you should not be keeping money issues from each other. Again, I'm not addressing very unhealthy marriages. There are aspects like that, and I say you, shall, you have to be careful. But I'm just saying expression from Genesis chapter 2 would have, would have implied that what both of them do, the fruit of their labor, it is the fruit of their labor, is theirs. And once you keep this part from the other person, you are still trying to express a level of independence that should not be there in a marital union. And so you find most of the problems that you have in marriages occur or are expressed at ground one. Am I lying? But the big issue is actually from ground zero. It's in ground zero, but it finds expression in ground one. And then there's ground two. And ground two is all other preferential uh, activities up and down there. Honestly, as a counselor, don't waste your time with ground two at all. Did you hear how she spoke to me? Did you? Okay, go down. So the two, the man shall leave, so shall man leave his father and mother, the two united, and they shall become one flesh. For the purpose of mission, 
put in a legal framework that shows their commitment for the purpose, uh, you, uh, for, that shows their commitment with trust that enables flourishing for the purpose of God's mission. This is how we are meant to be united. Now, I do know that not all of us are united in this way. Or you know some people that are not. And so my second talk, we're going to try to focus on some ways we can help with it. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos. <laughs>